0: Welcome to the next edition of the Career Conversations podcast brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name is Craig McGregor and today we have an excellent chat with a gentleman by the name of David Bacon. David I've known for over a decade and we've worked together in different circumstances. My most favourite part of working with David was when he was the chairman of a board of a community housing business and we helped him find great staff and turn the business around. But it's great to listen to his career story and his arc of his desire and motivation to work in the radio industry, and how he did that and worked his way through that industry to the top. It's great to hear about his time with the tobacco industry and working abroad, so please sit back and enjoy our conversation with David Bacon. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire, and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website, hrgroup.com.au or at our socials, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, David Bacon. G'day Craig. Mate, we've uh, known each other for a little while in uh, different iterations, so I'm really looking forward to having a chat to you about where you've come to and how you got there. We go back a long
1: time, I think, <laughs> yeah. when we were both trying to find our way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the great thing about it is, though, that um, it's always been a very positive experience. Yeah, and, it has. And uh, the other good thing about that is that uh, we never lost touch. No. And I think I like that.
0: I still remember when we you did a bit of stuff for when I was... Uh working in HR at Albany and you were contracting to us to do some, um, we were putting together succession planning and training for um, potential managers. And then it would have been about five or six years later that I was asked to do a a HR audit on one of the boards that you sat and I was told I needed to go and see the chairman that afternoon. And I walked into the Central Coast um, Leagues Club or somewhere, wherever we were meeting. And looking at you and you were looking at me and I'm going I think I know this guy and vice versa and then it clicked and yeah and it was just good so I've really enjoyed the same the interactions that we've had over the years so
1: I enjoyed doing the work with you at Albany as well because it was at a time when uh, I think we were saying to employees particularly it's time for you to take responsibility for your own career uh, and that was something that had always interested me I guess I'd learned that in corporate life Uh, I was very fortunate that I spent 10 years working for a a multinational company in the UK. And uh, they had probably the best uh, internal training program uh, on the planet at the time. And I reckon it's still as good today because I see their presence still on uh, all the social media. Uh, and so they taught us to be responsible for our own careers even though they were influencing them greatly so it was tremendous to uh, to use all of that that I had learnt then and I'd subsequently done some formal study in it Yeah. and uh, then to come and talk to you and to help guys that you were working with at Albany and I enjoyed that very much yeah, I must say
0: So taking responsibility for your own career let's, let's talk about your career so where did it start David? Well,
1: I've had, I think I've had a fortunate career. I think I've probably, uh, I don't know whether you do call it lucky. Uh, Do you make your own luck? There is a school of thought that says that, don't they? If you believe in something, if you want it badly enough, and that's one of the things I've always believed, that if you want something badly enough, even subconsciously, you'll do things to make that happen.
0: But there's, my opinion on that is that's 100% correct. But not one hundred percent of the population believe that and do that. So there is a percentage of the population that will act on that and they'll have that luck.
1: Look, they will, but I, I think you've got to have. It's got to be inside you. I I often have this conversation with my wife and family when things are not suiting them, perhaps, and I'll say, "Look, everything that's going on in your life is in here." And for anybody listening to this, I'm pointing to my heart. <laughs> and uh, definitely
0: an audio podcast. Yeah, this is,
1: and and so. Uh, It's happening in here, and if there are things happening that you don't like, you can walk away from them, or you can take them on, but it's up to you. Uh, Don't let things happen to you. Make things happen. And so... uh Probably subconsciously, I was desperate to do some things. I wanted to do something. And in fact, I'll tell you what it was. Yeah, what was it? I wanted to be on the radio. Yeah, great. And it's rather
0: ironic that we're using a venue today. Oh, no, this is the first time I wish we had video. We're actually in a studio. This is so cool.
1: (laughs) We're in a radio studio uh, on one of my community interests now, where I chair uh, today's Country 94.1, which is a community radio station on the Central Coast, and it plays country music. And so even from the time when I was a very small boy I can remember I grew up with the radio and I used to listen to it prolifically and I just wanted to be on the radio. And So did you want to be a
0: presenter? Yep, or a, yep you wanted yep. to be a presenter. Okay. Yeah.
1: I just wanted uh, in retrospect having gone and I had quite a reasonable career in radio at one stage. I, I wasn't very ambitious. All I wanted to do was play records. Well, that wasn't all that challenging, <laughs> uh, but it um, it was something that I wanted to do. And I never had a great voice. I um, I was young and sounded young, and I got a lot of knockbacks before I got my first
0: uh, my first opportunity. Uh, and so was fact- that was that tough to deal with those knockbacks and Working through those, you were so determined you had to get there. You just weren't going to take no for an answer.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, It teaches you to uh, deal with rejection. I had a fellow once who was the general manager of a country radio station say to me, look, it sounds like that you'd be pretty good at doing anything but radio. (laughs) Uh, So that was pretty tough to deal with. It's rather ironic. I was then many years later. Uh, I was working at a Sydney radio station, and he had to ring me up and buy the football coverage from me. Yeah, okay. So I'd done a little bit better than he what had. What comes around. What comes around, <laughs> exactly. So uh, I wanted to be on the radio, and, and I eventually cracked it. And in fact, I got a Facebook message from a guy today who I started with. Wow. And way back when. And um, we've sort of – this is one of the great things of – um, um, New technology, it's fantastic, technology Facebook. And people track you down and find you. And uh, this conversation is going everywhere. But yeah. anyway, we'll, we'll try and keep it on a thread. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I wanted to be on the radio. But interestingly enough, um, you, once you've got there, these, I think these are some of the other interesting things about your career is you get there and think, what am I going to do now? So it's all very well to get the prize, but what am I going to do with it? And so uh, I worked at being a radio announcer for a few years. I spent a little bit of time uh, in Sydney as a panel operator, which was fantastic. I learnt technical things. I learnt about presentation. Uh, so, I've, again, right place, right time in my view. Yep. Um, back to the bush, and, uh, and I cracked a journalism cadetship uh, in Tamworth. Of all places, because I'm not about to suggest I'm the brightest penny in the jar, but I was reasonably bright. And uh, y- you get bored with playing records. Yep. I've got to tell you, you do. And so, uh, particularly the way radio was, and it's much more interesting now, it's much better now, it's much more tightly formatted. Uh, and, and I think the people on it are much better than we ever were Yeah, okay uh, and are much more highly trained so I think radio is a whole lot better than it was when I was in it and um, so I got this journalism cadetship which I really enjoyed because um, it was challenging you had to go out and do things you had to go out and file stories and so I learnt to write uh, what sort of
0: stories were you filing in downtown Tamworth? Oh,
1: well, in downtown t- downtown Termw- Tamworth, uh, you uh, you reread a lot of press releases from the yeah. stuff that came okay. from the local politicians and things. But we had industry around there. Um, the Woods Reef Asbestos Mine was yeah, okay. uh, was around there, but it wasn't controversial in those days. Um, there'd be rural, a lot of rural and agricultural stories. Yep. The, um uh, stock prices, um, grain prices, those sorts of things, uh, were always of interest to that community. One of the things you do learn, particularly about being a journalist and about broadcasting, is who are you talking to? Yeah, and what's You've their got interest? to talk to them. Okay. What's their interest? No good dishing something yeah. up that you think is important. Find out what they think. So you learn those things. Particularly, you learn those things in the country uh, before you get a crack at the big time, and. Um, And that brought me to the Central Coast where, uh, uh, again, just an ironic connection. And again, as you and I were saying right at the beginning of the conversation, if you maintain some of your connections, particularly the connections you value and the people that you feel you've got chemistry with, uh, I'm a a great believer in chemistry with people, And uh, I just looked up, a guy. I was down, I came down the Central Coast to visit my brother who was living here, uh, dropped into the radio station to see a mate of mine who I'd worked with back in my days in, in Burrell. And he said, oh, there's a job here for you. And I said, well, no, no, I'm not interested in a job, I've just got a new one up in Tamworth. And he said, no, no, I've organised for you to meet the boss. So anyway, I thought, oh, I can't embarrass him, i better go and talk to this bloke and the rest is history. I came here
0: and finished my cadetship. Yeah, okay. And uh, so that's what brought me to the Central Coast the first time. My totally made-up stat, 85% of people will get their next job from their network. Exactly. Well, I can tell you that
1: it's – I wonder whether it's still true. Yeah, I believe uh, it is. I believe it is. Uh, it, uh, that,
0: human beings hire people like themselves. Yes. I still think that's the case. Technology's taking over, so it might be 84%, but I still think a big percentage of people get their next job from their network.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I would subscribe to that, and I like that idea, because you need to m- work with people that you know, that you trust. And I love challenging people. Uh, I love people who who don't agree with me. But if the chemistry is right, I mean, what a powerful it mix. Works. Yep. And so I've hired lots of people who don't agree with me, and I like that.
0: But I did, I liked them, yep. and I think that's all the so difference. So you value their opinion. Yes, you do. Yep. Okay. Yeah, very good. So you're on the Central Coast. So you're working in radio still. I am. What happened and, then? Uh, well, it was it
1: was at a time when Two uh, Go was new. Yeah. Was, okay. We're talking the seventies. Yep. Uh, and Two Go was new, and it was run by a guy called Keith
0: Graham, who was. One of the brilliant radio men. So being a new station, were you servicing the Central Coast? Yep. It, did, did that allow the station to go out there and discover what did the Central Coast want and try and target it, that? It. This
1: station, under Keith Graham's leadership, owned the Central Coast. Yeah, okay. It was... Uh, he was one of the best radio men I've ever met. Yep. And uh, he uh, understood the audience... And we were engaged and involved. And and it's one of the things where radio has changed over the years. It's much more corporate. This was locally owned. The board of directors were the local great and the good of the town. They'd put their money into this, invested in this, to build this radio station. And it was the only one here, keep in mind. And it was a pretty healthy population. So it made good money. We We were paid reasonably well. Uh, and, uh, and so – but we were out there and we were engaged and we were involved and anything that was on at the time, TGO, TGO was there. there. Yep. And, uh, and that was a great success. And so I started off in the newsroom and then I eventually uh, finished up as the sports director. Yeah, okay. And that was great. And again – you got invited to so many sporting organisations because it's a very strong sporting community at Central Coast. Yeah, absolutely. And you just went and presented trophies for people. They valued you coming. They bought you a drink. You didn't need to do too much more, so a few words. Uh, but it was, it was fantastic. Good and networking it was, for you. It was a great time. Yeah, it was a great time.
0: Tell me about Keith. So you spoke so passionately about him. How important is it to have a, a leader or a mentor at a young part of your career like that? Was it important?
1: I think so, although, you know what, young people, I don't think, realize that at the time uh, and value it. But it's interesting that now that I'm in my 60s, I still remember him. I remember his name. I remember how good he was. And uh, I I remember everything about him. Hmm. And so even though you weren't consciously trying to mold yourself, you were listening to him. He never heard him raise his voice. He spoke to people with respect as well as having something to say, good advice. Uh, so we have these characters, I think, as we go through. But you're very lucky, I think, if you get more than one or two. Yeah, okay. uh, what eventually took me to the UK was probably one of the most influential characters in my career uh, who was the smartest businessman.
0: Uh, I'd met, and uh, so what? What business was it that you're in in the UK?
1: Oh, I uh, I worked for a cigarette company. Mm-hmm. So um, after I left the Central Coast, I went to 2SM uh, in the newsroom, which was the top-rating AM station in Sydney, top-rating station in Sydney at its heyday. I then had an opportunity to go to Canberra to uh, to get my first gig as uh, a news director to run a new, run my own newsroom and I, I think as well that was part of a pattern that was to uh, become evident throughout the rest of my career yeah okay to this day so what uh, patterns that and that pattern was going into underperforming organizations and reorganizing them and rebuilding them yeah okay so uh, the radio station i went into in that's
0: a Big change from being a newsreader or working in the newsroom. How does that evolve so quickly?
1: It it happened by accident and it was only, I think, years later. I think it also indicates that I must have been subconsciously, again, a bit of a risk taker. You know, Organisations which weren't going all that well, some people would say, well, I'm not going there because that mightn't be good for my career. I was saying, well, there's an opportunity. I'll go there. Uh, and so uh, this station had just completely changed its format. It had been an old-fashioned station. It had brought in a new program director, and, again, it was a connection from my two GO days of a guy that I'd worked with there that um, said, do you want to come down here and run? So it was connection. Here's your theory being... Yep. Uh, uh 85%. proven uh, and so i went there and so they were just so it wasn't as if they were doing anything bad it was just that they were coming into the modern era and they were going to do their own news and i was experienced by this stage I mean, worked at 2go and finished my cadetship having worked in sydney um had some connections and things and so i went into the newsroom to run it which i did uh for a couple of years and uh had a very brief dabble in television, um,
0: uh, but very brief, and then quickly we found out you got a face for a radio. Is that right? Uh,
1: yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> so. I think that was part of that. Um, but I had an opportunity to go into the Canberra Press Gallery yep. and run a radio bureau there, which I did do, and uh, so that exposed me. To government, exposed me to politics. And so I think keep in mind that I'm still not yet, I might have been 30. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm still absorbed, I'm still young enough to be learning. I'm, I'm still young enough to be learning today, well, I can tell you.
0: You divulged your age in your 60s. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that's not very stereotypical. Um, if you look at most people of your ilk, they've done the same job for 35 years they haven't jumped from radio station to radio station to try new different things so were you different at that time do you think I, I was hugely different yep. um,
1: because I was prepared to move and and I learned this later when I studied to be a career counselor and and uh, sort of in my mid in my mid career people were sort of saying oh you've had a lot of jobs. <laughs> Uh, Don't hire him. Look at him. Back jump, in those days, that wasn't um, that wasn't uh, the done thing, and it was seen as a negative. Of course, today, you know, we accept that some people will have five different careers and thirteen different jobs. Yeah, or something. that's there's another that's what's happening in the statistic I've made up. Yeah, but, great. But it's uh, it's probably very much like that. And uh, and what dawned on me was. Um, I had a year in the Commonwealth Public Service after I'd been in the press gallery. I went to work for a minister in the Fraser government uh, as private secretary, and that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Uh, but we lost the election in 83, and, uh, but I managed to go into the public service. And one of the things that struck me then where people had been saying to me, oh, you know, you're unstable, you know, you've had all these jobs. Were, I was watching people in the public service ha- would st- only stay in a job for six months and they'd moved to another role, and Into they'd the moved to service. another role, and then to another. But their career said 30 years public service. Yep. Oh, he's stable. Well, no, yep. they weren't. They were less <laughs> stable than me. Uh, I got headhunted to uh, work in the tobacco industry.
0: So that's when you went to the UK.
1: No, I spent uh, I spent a number of years in Sydney working first, for the okay. Industry Association for the cigarette manufacturers. Uh, and once again, uh, boy, did I learn a lot I learnt to open my mind. Um, I learnt about bias, preconceived ideas, and that I was guilty of a lot of that. I think a lot of people go through their lives and they so don't do you even mean realise that
0: bias towards cigarettes. I was an anti-smoker. Yeah, anti-smoker. Okay. Because
1: everybody in the press gallery was an anti-smoker. I hadn't thought about what that meant. Yeah, uh, but I went along with the pack, the herd mentality. Um, and I got this call and said, you want to have an interview with this guy? And I said, well, I'll have the interview. And I said, oh, that's interesting, but, you know, you need to know. I don't like this very much. He, and I said, send me some information. And they sent me some information, and I read it, and I thought, hmm, okay. Uh, I should have been reading this information before. And it, and it's taught me to read both sides of an argument now. Yeah, okay. um, You know, if you ask me, smoking yeah, smoking's probably not all that good for you. Yeah, um, however, there was a h- whole other side to the argument, and that is it's legal, it's legitimate, and its pants are taxed off it. Mm. And Australia benefits greatly from those taxes. So it's a complex argument. Yeah, and okay. I was very happy to work and prosecute that argument. Yep. Okay. No apologies for having worked in the tobacco industry okay. um, because it was one of the best run businesses. Uh, and the best employer ever uh, I had a, a corporate job uh, and but part of the best the best part of one of the best parts of that was the education that I got uh, so on the
0: job or formal training bo- Both.
1: both okay. the formal education through the company was amazing so every year, if you read my CV, every year you'll see that I did something. It might have been a finance course. It might have been a marketing course. It might have been something. But they would fly in uh, a professor from Michigan State or something to uh, run something for a couple of weeks for us. So what, what what decade was this? So we're talking the 90s. Yeah. So I have so no that- knowledge of the rugby league wars in Australia <laughs> because I lived the entire 90s in the UK.
0: Okay. I was going to say – because. If I reflect back in the 90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of government funding availability or tax leverage to do training. So I think there was a lot more training back in those days because the government would tax that effectively. Whereas I think it's dropped a little bit of recent times because of that factor.
1: Possibly. This was just bankrolled by this the company was just the in company the UK. This was the company wanted to do it. Yep, we yeah, okay. did it. We, um, keep in mind, we had to have a competitive advantage. Tobacco was controversial. So how do you attract good employees? You become the best employer. So it was employer of choice before
0: that term came along.
1: Exactly. We were because we did great stuff. And um, today, all of that study would, would probably be formally recognized somewhere. Yeah. That, uh, And somebody at the end of all of that would tick and say, you've got an MBA. Um, and so I haven't got that, but I tell you what, I've done all the bits. Yeah, okay. And so... We, uh, and that was hugely enjoyable, and I used to teach as well, so our own teaching? people, um, about corporate communication. Uh, so I hired the best people, again, in the world. Keep in mind, tobacco was a very cash-rich business, so it was very profitable, and the budgets to train people well were generous, were there. Uh, and, and so... We had very, very good consultants, uh, but I ran programs for guys. So we ha- we were operating in 55 countries, and I was the head of corporate communication. And so we had people all around the world of different nationalities. I also learnt about different nationalities, about different cultures, cultures yeah. and what, cultural behaviours. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, there would have been cultural behaviours that would have been different, yeah. even towards smoking, which you would have to navigate as a business.
1: Well, uh, yeah, but they were largely positive. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, when I worked in, in the UK in the 90s, we still had markets where they were advertising on television. Yeah. Living in the UK for a decade was life-changing for me in terms of my outlook on the world and I think my attitude to Australia as well. Yeah, okay. Mm.
0: So you came back, though?
1: I came back... Uh, but I got the opportunity just to finish off on the tobacco thing. It was yep. it was soon after the um, the Berlin Wall had come down, and the international tobacco manufacturers were battling to take over the state-owned tobacco industries in places like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, wow. Holland. and I was always part of these new biz- new business development teams because I was the guy who had to talk to government about smoking and health issues and about those sorts of corporate affairs issues not manufacturing not marketing but those corporate affairs type issues and uh, you know I remember to this day meeting with the chief sanitary officer of Uzbekistan we were in Tashkent and um drinking tea and I had an interpreter and I, it's it's a very difficult conversation to have
0: through a third party through a
1: third party like this I'm rattling it off she's translating to him and you know what There is no doubt in my mind this bloke knew exactly every word I said because he was a highly educated man and uh, he spoke English. But Just a charade, hey? It was all part of a charade. It was all part of the game. But, you know, it was great to go in there. Those those places now are very cosmopolitan. Mm. But it was great to go in there very soon after the wall came down uh, and see what it was really like, how people really lived and uh, we bought a a factory in Tashkent which was multi-story and this is where you learn about different cultures the pilfering and theft of cigarettes from the manufacturing floor was endemic guys had special pockets in their socks they had special pockets in their underpants because they could take them out and they could sell them, they didn't get paid very much but it was so bad they would lock the floors. If you wanted to go to the toilet, you had to go with a guard because they would think that you were taking product out to hide it somewhere,
0: so you could take it. Did they get pay rise so that they didn't want to pilfer anymore, or was it? How did you manage that? It,
1: yes, that was. Um, you couldn't go in and start throwing cash around. Yeah. Business models are business models. You're trading in the local currency. Yep. Uh, And so, no, they didn't get huge pay rises, um, but they were treated better. Yeah, okay. uh, And uh, their conditions were better and the safety was improved. Uh,
0: Okay. mm. So when you came back, did you come back to the Central Coast or to Sydney? No, I
1: came back to Sydney uh, and I went to work. I went to run the – I came back to Australia. So I came back to Australia because I had remarried uh, an English woman. Uh, and
0: uh, so you're responsible for another Pommy coming to Australia. Thank you.
1: And she's a great Australian. I love <laughs> her dearly, and um, she's a, she's a good Aussie, and she is one of us, and she has been for well, um, oh, close to 20 years, I suppose. Yep. Uh, but anyway, um, so I came back to Australia, and I went to run the Federation of Australian Radio Broadcasters, which was the industry association so, of, of Why did you go radio. back
0: to radio after tobacco? The job came up. Just the job? Yeah. You didn't have a yearning or a passion to get into it?
1: Not really. My wife wanted to come to Australia to live. Okay. So You just needed a job. So I needed to do something. Yep. Um, I was doing a bit of PR. I came back. But one of the things I learned as well is if you go away for 10 years, people forget you. I was gone. I had an international job where I spent more time in the United States and Europe and places. I might have got to Australia once a year, but I wasn't developing a network here. So my network was gone. Uh, So I couldn't come back and pick up where I left. Because I had a philosophy when I went to live in the UK that I would go native. I wasn't going to be one of these guys who had the Sydney Morning Herald delivered every day and read the rugby league results yep. every every day. And keep in mind, this is yeah, well before idea. we were able to go to the internet and check it out yeah. very easily. Uh, but I decided that if I was going to earn my living in the UK, then the UK deserved something from me, uh, and that was to do everything I could locally. Yep. Uh, and I did. So you become an and, EPL fan. Yeah. Yeah, I became a Chelsea fan. Chelsea, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I became a Chelsea fan because I lived next to a guy. <laughs> I lived in a housing estate at one stage, uh, and this guy played for Chelsea. Um, and uh, so, uh, so I went native. And uh, so it, coming back to Australia then was difficult. Yeah. It was difficult. And so this job came up that was written for me run an industry association, I knew about advocacy, I knew about radio, uh, and they recognised that as well, and, uh, and so I went to do that during Cash for Comment, the controversial Cash yeah, for okay. Comment, and uh, that was pretty difficult. Um, however, and then soon after that, because I had negotiated the, uh, the broadcasting conditions for current affairs radio at the time, the standards, the broadcasting standards with the government... Um, Southern Cross had just bought 2 and said, well, you know more about it than anybody else. Why don't you come and manage 2UE where the problem had started? Yep. And then I went to Melbourne with them for a little while. But that didn't work. Uh, it didn't work. Sometimes these things happen in your career. Hmm. Uh, you make a choice. So why didn't it work? Um, I think culturally we were unsuited. Yep. I had... And here's the irony. Uh, Tobacco and the people I worked with were very ethical. Uh, Not that I'm suggesting I don't want to defame anybody in this. But they had standards and things were done the way they said they were going to be done. Um, Australia is generally, I think, from my experience, just not as diligent, tight, on these sorts of things I'm not suggesting anybody did anything illegal it's it's excellence you know How um, what standards of excellence do you want to observe and do you expect I expect it from myself and I therefore foolishly expect it from others but it, culturally it didn't work I mean Sam my wife loved living in Melbourne because it was not unlike living in a British city Yep, uh, and I had a bout of ill health as well Um, and uh, so I needed to retreat and uh, regain my health. Uh, I had prostate cancer. Yeah, okay. And uh, so I needed to retreat and slow down and change my life, basically, and we came here.
0: So why the Central Coast?
1: Uh, I'd been here. I still had two sons who lived here.
0: Yeah, okay, so family. So it
1: was easy to come here. Yep. Uh, So I had family and so, while from my time in Sydney, I couldn't pick up where I left off, I came back here and I was able to pick off where I left pick up where I left off. I still have to this day. You know, 12 months ago, a lady said to me, oh, "I remember you on 2GA," <laughs> and that was the 70s. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I was so chuffed that uh, that somebody <laughs> remembered me. Not many people do, but uh, someone remembered me. So it was easy to come back here,
0: and. So so after that, did you have, uh, in terms of your career, what happened next? Was it a bit of a change in direction for you? This,
1: well, y- you get a, a life-threatening disease. Yeah, I was going to ask
0: about that. Was it, the, was it the impetus or was it a move to the Central Coast? What made no, the change? No, it was,
1: it was that. You, you're forced to review your life. And uh, I've considered that... Um, I've traveled to the four corners of the planet as a result of my work, and I think that's pretty lucky. Uh, I reckon I was pretty fortunate. If you uh, grow up in Sheffield and go to a good university and get a job with any of the multinationals, you're very likely to do that as well. But I'm a boy from Coonabarabran, and uh, I thought, boy from Coonabarabran, got invited to St. James's Palace. yeah. That's all right. I've been pretty lucky. Yep. Um, and so I, uh, you have a, a health event, and fortunately I'm still here able to talk to you about it uh, 15 years later. Uh, but you have a health event, and you're forced to review your life, and I think, well, I've been pretty lucky. What can I do
0: to give back? Yeah. Well, this is the David Bacon that I know.
1: Yes. So wh- what, what can I do? I still want to need to work. Uh, while I'm a self-funded retiree, um, that doesn't pay private school fees, and so um, uh, I came here. And Sam and I had I had a, another son late uh, with Sam, who is the apple of my eye. I've got five kids, and I love them all dearly, but I've still got one at home, Yep. and uh, he is the best boy. And so, what can I do to give back? And um, it wasn't long after my surgery, and I thought, "Well, I've got to do something." And uh, a job came up here again, something I didn't know anything about, but my background suited it. And again, talking to Sam, you know, this is written for you, and so I threw my hat in the ring, had a meeting with the chairman and one of the directors of it was a government program. And this guy said, What do you want this for? You know, you're overqualified. You're, you're miles overqualified. And in fact, he said, You could be the chairman. You could be me uh, rather than doing this. I said, No, I just want something to do. Um, I'd tell him yep. my story, uh, my health story and stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've been up the greasy pole, I've done all that. Um, something now which involves me and engages me with the community would be really good. And so I did that – the rest is history. I did that for five years, um, which was um, – it was the the Regional Partnerships Program, which was one of those funding programs from the Commonwealth Government. It hadn't done particularly well before I took over. Uh, Again, this is part of my restoration of underperforming organisations. There were a couple more in between there as well. One of the things I was taken to the UK to do in the tobacco industry was to reorganise and rejuvenate the corporate affairs function in the international business um, which was pretty big um, but I did that successfully and um, so so we uh, and I had a couple of people work for me at, at the area consultative committee as they were called they were all over Australia but here they hadn't been very successful in getting grants um, but under my stewardship and working but working with the local elected representatives and things as well I mean this is what you've got to do particularly in a community like the Central Coast where everybody knows everybody you've got to collaborate you've got to work together and collaboration is only something people are talking about now things become fashionable I think I've I've intuitively led the way on a lot of things which become professional. I don't want to brag, and I, and I didn't it didn't occur to me to write a learned article to say collaboration is yeah, yeah. the way to go. Fifteen years ago, it was just intuitively you think, well, I got to work with these people. You know, they can help. Yep. And um, so working with Jim Lloyd was the local member at the time, and and others. So. The year before I joined this organisation, they got um, $50,000 in grants. After five years, I'd got $4.5 Excellent. And we'd leveraged that into projects worth $14 million. So the benefit for the region was huge. It was huge. Then you get a change of government and those things finish. And, and you know that when you get into it. Yep. And so I was out.
0: Um, so I've known you as a board director, board member. Was that the start of that? progress of your career not really ironically
1: uh, it was back when I first went to work for the Federation of Australian Radio Broadcasters which is now called Commercial Radio Australia Um, I thought I think I think I would be a good director I've had such broad experience I have high ethical standards um, so I need to learn about governance so I signed myself up and at the time the University of New England was doing a corporate director's diploma um and so i signed myself up and paid for that and um took myself up and did that and i had to fly back during in the middle of that course it was a residential to do the interview for the um for the radio job yeah okay uh which was um ironic i think so so i then started to equip myself to be a director i got some qualifications to so be a director
0: early on you s- you saw this in yourself yeah you saw this as a pathway yeah okay. i did
1: i did and it was then a matter of finding opportunities. Now, it's one of the downsides of living in a regional area like this is you are invisible to the big end of town. Yeah. So you really don't get the huge opportunities to sit on boards, on the big boards. Uh, and unless you're down there bumping into people who, again, it's that connection. Yep. Uh It's not the advertisements because they don't run advertisements for the good job board, bo- they board don't. jobs. And so it's who knows whom. and uh, But if you're not part of the network and there all the time, then it's very, very difficult to crack those things. So I'm going to say
0: um, 85% of director jobs are filled by a network, correct? I would think that that
1: <laughs> 85% number is, uh, <laughs> is getting, getting stronger. Um, so um, then, again, through connection, um, I can't remember which one I joined first, whether it was. This radio station, whose studio we're sitting in today, uh, or whether it was the community housing company, but both of them were through connection. Yep. Um, In in terms of both of
0: them were they both turnaround jobs?
1: Yeah, radio was interesting, Uh, and radio is the most fun and the most interesting. I uh, I met Rod McCormack. And anybody who knows their country music uh, knows of Rod. He's, um, he's Australia's and one of the world's greatest banjo players, uh, but also a brilliant guitarist, record producer, and produces most of his wife's material, who's Gina Jeffries. So ah. I, I met, and we were talking about, I think I went to some sort of a forum, and keep in mind we are talking about, over a decade ago, and I think then we were talking about building a performing arts centre on the Central Coast. Guess what? We're uh, still talking about it. But I met Rod. And uh, I think I wanted him to do something for me in relation to the ACC at the time. But he was smarter than me and thought, oh, you worked in radio, did you? Well, we've got an interest in this community radio station. Do you want to join us? And... It goes back to my very early comment about people being nice and chemistry. Yep. Uh, the country music people that i met are the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, and I put Rod into that, and some of the other guys too. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll work with you. Um, and so we worked together. These guys had just managed to get uh, a short-term licence for this community radio station I won't bore you with the details of the history of getting there, but it had been in the hands of another group and it became available and these local country music guys said, we'll take that. But when it came to liaising with government... They needed you. ...dealing with government, I could add value to them. I don't know anything about country music. Yeah. I've never professed to, but I do know about broadcasting and I did know at the time I had co- still had connections with people who
0: ran the bureaucracy so this from my days at FARB. Was this volunteer board? This is gig? all volunteered, yeah. So if you have no passion for country music, why get involved in a country music radio station? Um, because I think I told you at the real
1: start of this, all I ever wanted to do was be on the radio. Yep. So I had this so passion. It's more about radio. It's passion for radio. Yep, great. Because I'm not on this radio station, no. I've never invoked the chairman's <laughs> privilege and says, right, I'm going to do a little gig um, I might in retirement yeah, yeah. Uh, but not at the moment, so it was to be involved it was to be involved in radio but it was also to be involved with these people I'd met yeah. who were tremendous people and friendly people and welcomed you and uh, so that was great so I did the paperwork for, um, and, we, and it was a, a long process, we, we had temporary licenses and temporary licenses and we went through a lot. But to cut a long story short, I've subsequently completed the paperwork um, for two permanent applications yeah, great. and uh,
0: so that was great. Uh, so tell me about community housing. So have done a housing. Bit of work together in that space.
1: So once again, uh, that came about through Connection. Uh, a mate of mine in Rotary, because I've been involved in Rotary since two thousand. Yeah, no, that's been important Four. to you. That's really important to me. I love Rotary. And um, so a mate of mine who was in Rotary said, listen, I've just joined this board. Um, they are in trouble. And you know something about governance. Do you want to join us and do you know anybody else? And I said, yeah, and I... Russell, i a mate of mine, and we joined that board. And uh, today, if anybody said to me, what is your advice in considering joining a board? I'd say, well, you have to do a lot of due diligence to check it out. Yep. If I'd have done my due diligence on this, I wouldn't
0: have gone near it with a barge pole. And you know what? I did a lot of recruitment for that business, and I keep telling people nine years ago, if I was recruiting, I'd be telling you to run for the hills. But. What a turnaround.
1: But. And, and again, this is my pattern. Mm-hmm. I went into somewhere. It was tough. Um, within a very short space of time, I found myself chairman. So I joined it in a July and I was chairman by November, I think. And uh, But there was only one way for it to go. Yeah, absolutely. And because, again, I'd worked... Well, oh,
0: actually, there was two.
1: Well, there probably was. And initially, when I walked through the door... Uh, I thought, and I'd said to my colleagues, I think we're going to have to merge this off with somebody else. I think it's a basket case.
0: Uh, I think I may have made some connections and maybe potentially got that on, on board for you, which we you went, didn't go down that path.
1: We went No, we went to Craig McGregor. You did, but we also went to Craig McGregor, and I <laughs> said, Craig, one thing I've got to do, even though I'm on this board, is we've got to get a financial report to the board which tells us what's going on. Get me somebody and get me somebody yesterday, which yep. you did. Correct. And that guy turned out to be fabulous, uh, and we eventually uh, made him the CEO, as you know, and he was very successful for many years as the CEO, and we developed a close working relationship. And I think that was part of the, the success of it. It was that partnership. I can't take full credit. Yeah. For... How uh, important is the chairman-CEO relationship? Oh, it is it is invaluable. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely invaluable. It, it's the I think it's the only way an organisation can work because if you don't have it, if you don't have the trust, if you don't have yeah. the trust that each is looking after the other's back, uh, then it can't work. So uh, I, I was very lucky. We Look, it, again, it was circumstances which were right for everybody at mm. the time, I think. Absolutely. And uh, so that partnership... So. We sort of worked together for a few months, and we were able to get the accounts in order and make a report to the board that made sense. And we looked at each other one day and said, "You know what? I think we can make this work." And I and um, we both agreed, "Let's give it a shot." So we stopped talking to people that we thought we'd merge off with, and had a go. And last year, the year before last, I'm trying to remember now, we were named Community Housing Provider of the Year. Mm. Uh, within the sector uh, against some big players.
0: so well, I know that, the, look, I'm really thankful to have been involved in that. It's been my most passionate project, my most fun customer. I've really enjoyed the ride of from down here to Provider of the Year and having a small part to play in that. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it has
1: been fantastic. So I've retired from that now, and um, so I'm looking for my next gig hmm. uh, of... Uh, of something which uh, might be similar, and I've already had some nibbles. Yep. Um, but I'm, but here, well, I'll use this podcast. I'm available, <laughs> uh, and and so, uh, but again, I, I think I learnt as much through all of that as yeah, okay. Hopefully, people took from being around me. Um, well, look, as yeah. an
0: outsider looking in, I've always admired the passion that you've okay. had for the Central Coast and for the community, and to see you in, in this confines, in the radio space, and to have worked with you in community housing, you know, it's a credit to you to be able to do that in this part of your career. So you've still got time and you've still got things to offer, so you want to do something again? Is there another turnaround? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Uh, Uh, It's interesting having a fifteen-year-old son. You
1: realise you're not as young as you used to be, and he keeps. I can't chase him as much. He keeps me so busy, and uh, and I love every moment I spend with him. But he seems to be directing my life, as I'm speaking to you. He's at home building a stud wall. He's just finishing building my wine cellar, and I'm his (laughs) labourer. So um, he is an amazing young man, and uh, but it does you realise that getting up and down that ladder. Uh, that many times during the day. I'm not getting it up, up and down any quick. I don't want to suggest that I'm a crock. <laughs> uh, I've still got lots of passion and enthusiasm. And um, so it would be... I, would, um, um, I wouldn't mind what it was. okay? Because um, I think you develop a set of skills that are transferable. Um, and you, you learn how to get on with people. Uh, you uh, learn, uh, what's the best way to describe it? You've got to have ideas and you've got to be able to communicate them to the organisation. It's it's one of the things that I've learnt about leadership. Firstly, the thing about leadership is you uh, find people who are better than you to hire. Um, and that was uh, the experience with you in hiring CEO. Yep. Uh, Keith was far smarter than me. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you look for these people I did that in the UK I had a team of people uh, who every single one of them was better qualified than I was and smarter than me
0: great lesson for but everyone listening
1: pull them together um, and uh, get the best out of them because uh, and I've, I, I know I've said this several times you've got to like people and if you like people you'll get the best out of them and guess what they'll perform for you if you don't like each other then it's not going to work out they still might be very good and working for somebody else they might do a fantastic job yeah but if the chemistry is not right with you then they won't perform so good lesson uh, identifying those people's a bit of a, a trick but it's a gut feel thing too i am the hr department's worst nightmare <laughs> Uh, and that is, I see somebody, I meet them for a few minutes, I thought, yeah, I like you. Yep. And uh, You're not alone. This is going to work, and then I'll work to make it work. And again, it's, and it's a subconscious thing, I think, that happens, that you, uh, you just, um, you make allowances. Nobody's perfect. I'm far from perfect and neither are the people that you employ hmm. and you just make you work it. work together to make you, it happen. You work together to make it happen and sometimes things aren't as you would want them to be but you've got to have the ability to overlook that. And that's one of the other lessons that I've learnt with age I think is to accept that things are not going to be perfect. There was a time when I thought things should be perfect and, um, but I have learnt that they are never going to be perfect. So and you're giving so us some good go lessons. With this. Go with it.
0: I want, to ask you, I want to put you in the career conversations time machine. So if you could rewind the clock to 20-year-old David, from all these lessons you've learnt, what advice would you give him now? Um, I, look, the
1: advice I'd give him now in terms of corporate lessons is to finish your education. I'm a university dropout. Yep, got a scholarship to university but wanted to be on the radio and I gave it away so I could be. Um, And I think now that we're in the 21st century and it's one of the things I insist on, uh, particularly my son now, is you have got to have a good education. Whether you like it or not, you know, the global billionaires were all dropouts, you know, Richard Branson. Bill yep. Gates, uh, mind you, there's a lot of really good graduates as yeah, well absolutely. who've made a lot of money. So you know that's a convenient example. But people judge you. They take a look at your CV. How many rightly years? or wrongly? Rightly or do. wrongly, they do. And so I think the advice uh, to 20-year-old David would have been: finish your education, then go off and get on the radio. Uh, and do what you want to do so I think uh, because then you can do a lot more so people judge you I think I've succeeded despite that but it was I think it was probably a harder slog and it's been a harder slog later in life when I came back to Australia and I was interested in a role uh, keep in mind now that I'm in uh, at this time I'm in the 50s and a guy said well tell me about your education I'm in my 50s I've had a successful international career and I said to this bloke you're kidding aren't you I didn't get the gig, incidentally. But I said, You're kidding, aren't you? You're concerned about whether I got a science degree in 1972?
0: Yeah, it's a mistake in recruiting, Um,
1: isn't it? um, But I had no chemistry with that guy, so I was never going to get the gig. The other piece of advice I would give the the 20 year old was um, pursue your music and learn to play. That's one of the things that I regret most. As a child, my mother would say, Would you like to learn to play the piano? At the time, I le- growing up in a small country town, if you went to if you wanted to learn to play the piano, and I went to a Catholic school initially, you went to the nuns, and they they were the big music teachers in town, and they were fabulous. And I thought, no, only the nerdy kids go and do that. I'm too too cool. So my mum didn't push me. She said, okay, but the opportunity's there. I wished I had. have. yeah, okay. I eventually taught myself to play the guitar very badly, and played in a band when I was at school, badly. <laughs> um, but now I can't get enough of live music. I love it, absolutely love yeah, it, wow. and wish I could play it. And I'm very envious it's of my... It's never too late, David. It is never too late, except the fingers don't work as well as they used to. Maybe I'll have to play the bass, yeah, where it's, it's not as enthusiastic, although good bass players you see their fingers moving. And they're but, pretty cool. And they're cool. Maybe I'll just go and play the drums and try and keep the beat. But there's the other thing about technology. Um, uh, good drummers and, and good bands the the drummer's got a click track in his ear yeah so that's keeping him on time <laughs> so technology uh, uh, helps us all so yeah i think those are the two things finish your education and i would say that to anybody you've got to have an education and you'd be surprised i think uh how it opens your eyes and um Uh, you learn things that you weren't expecting to learn.
0: Excellent. Mm. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, David. It's been excellent to do it in a a proper studio. Uh, Thanks to your volunteers here, the gig that you volunteer to. But look, it's also, like I said, I've been an admirer from afar of what you've done for the community and and to hear your story and uh, learn some life lessons and some career lessons off you today has been quite fruitful. So thanks for your time today, David. I hope it's made some sense and I've loved talking to you. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Career Conversations podcast brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group and special thanks to our guest today, Mr. David Bacon. If you liked that edition, please leave us a note on our website, hrgroup.com.au slash podcast. If you'd like to hear previous episodes or subscribe to hear future episodes, please do so at Apple iTunes, via SoundCloud, or again at our website, hrgroup.com.au. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor.